Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The fourth century theologian, Jerome, tells a story about the Apostle John. From history, we know that the Apostle John was the only apostle to die of old age. Uh, The rest were were martyred for their faith. John John died nearing the old age of 100 as an exile on an island. But as John was old and frail, and even as his legs were unable to carry him and he was unable to walk, he was still able to preach. But as he got older, his sermons got shorter and shorter. And John's disciples, Jerome tell us, would carry John into the gathering of believers on the Lord's Day, and he would apparently preach the same sermon again and again, week after week. I'm going to preach for you John's complete sermon right now. Little children, love one another. That's it. Wouldn't you love it if my sermons were were that short? But John's disciples got a little tired of it, and they finally asked him, Master, why do you always say this? Because, John replied, it's the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. Now, we have no way of verifying Jerome's story, but it certainly sounds like John. For all we know of John and how, how much John wrote about love in his gospel and in his epistles. Of course, implicit in this is the fact that this can never be done. And so John's brilliance, if it actually happened, of repeating it again and again and again. Because the more it's preached, the more one would realize how they couldn't do it. Today, of course, we think that we can do it, but that's because our society has has distorted love into a mere feeling. And we think we can have a a general feeling of love to all people, uh, and and maybe we could even tell people that we love them every day that we see them. But that's not what love is. Love isn't just saying words. Love requires action, as John writes in our epistle. Dear children, let us love not only with word or with our tongue, but also in action and truth. And this is important for us to consider today. And here's why. Do you realize that there are people in this church and who are watching online who don't always feel like they are loved? Do you want to know who they are? They're sitting right next to you. They're sitting in front of you. They're sitting behind you. They're sitting right exactly where you sit. God's word actually gives us a reason for why we feel this way. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. 
it's no secret that our world is filled with hate. Even with all the talk about tolerance and love and appreciation for diversity, there is still an obvious shortage of genuine love going around. I mean, the way we think we can show love today for some reason is by yelling and arguing with almost anyone. And we tell them and we yell at them how they should love. This doesn't accomplish anything. This is why John says that love requires action and truth. So the world is one reason that people feel unloved. But you know what? The world also includes us. The one who does not love remains in death, John says. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. If we look honestly at our own hearts and lives, we realize that this describes us too. Even if we don't have a habit of outright hating, don't we more often than not have an attitude of, of apathy rather than of love? Sometimes we, we just don't care about other people. Because we have more important things to do, more self-centered thoughts to worry about. I, I just don't have time right now for anyone else. I don't have the patience right now. How am I supposed to love him or her when, when this is the way that I get treated? And so our lack of love means that we too are murderers. And that should terrify us. Because who could love a murderer? But we have crossed over, as John says, from death to life. Even murderers are loved by God. God even loved those who killed him. Yes, the world hates us. Yes, sadly, we murder each other again and again with our thoughts and our lack of love for one another. But there's not a single person in this sanctuary here who can truly say that you are not loved. Jesus laid down his life for you. He poured out his life for us. That's how we know what love is. That's how that we know that we are loved. In fact, you've been loved from eternity. Uh, from before you were born, from before the world began, God doesn't base your salvation on how good or bad you would eventually be, but purely on the perfect love of his Son. God loved you enough to send his own Son into a world filled with murderous hate. And so God calls you, he invites you to come to his banquet. From before you were born, God called you. He selected you to come to his banquet. We call this teaching the doctrine of election. That God elected you. He, he selected you for salvation, for life. It is completely his decision and his work that you will be saved. God simply invites us to believe this and to come to his supper.
But as we saw in our gospel lesson, many, unfortunately, reject this invitation. They reject God's invitation. God wants all people to be saved, but he doesn't force his will on anyone. He doesn't force us to love him or anyone else. If we would rather be murderers, God would let us do that. It's a one-way street. God only elects people to salvation. He doesn't elect or choose anyone to go to hell. If someone rejects his invitation and continues in their murderous ways, he lets them go. I just finished reading a book about Christian fatherhood called Being Dad. Uh, Father as a picture of God's grace. And what a perfect day to talk about fathers and the love of fathers. The author of that book uses the, the, the father in the prodigal son story in Luke as the pinnacle example of fatherhood. Of course, the, the father in the parable is God. And if you remember, the father does something unexpected. After his younger son basically steals his money and tells his father that he'd, that he'd be better off dead, the father doesn't force him to stay. He lets him go. He lets him go, hoping that his grace, that he had shown to his son again and again, and to others, even his own servants, would cause his son to come home, to, to come to his senses and eventually return home. And every day the father is outside watching, waiting, waiting for the son to come home. And finally the son does. And before the son can even begin to apologize, the father reminds him that he was always his son and then throws a great banquet. The author of the book tells another story about a young woman in college who converted to Christianity. She was an international student from, the, from a nation that was very anti-Christian, including her own family. But after years of, of seriously wrestling with and studying the scriptures, she was baptized as a Christian. She told her mother immediately of her baptism and her conversion, but her father didn't find out until weeks later. And when he did, he called and said, you can never, never come home again. Now, the daughter expected this. But then she asked, are you going to cut off funding, my funding for the university? But her father responded with something unexpected. He said, no, I love you so much, and I've done everything in my power to keep you safe and happy. If you were to come home, I might have to watch my countrymen harm you, and there would be nothing I could do to stop it. I will continue to pay for your education and will hire a top attorney, attorney so you can gain asylum. She asked, are, are you mad at me that I became a Christian? After a long pause, the father responded, I love you more than anything in the world. You are one of the smartest young women I know, and though I have never learned about this Jesus, you've had a long time studying his teachings. So I can only trust that you made a wise and sincere decision. So I support you. 
I don't know what became of that father. I don't know whether or not the, the daughter's faith eventually uh, were, uh, carried up on him too. But even though he wasn't a Christian, this sort of love is the love that God has for us. God's love is perfect. He loves so much that he, even let us, he would even let us go. But for those who return after rejecting God's invitation, because they know the Father's grace, like the father of the prodigal sons, God gives a feast that is better than anything we could have expected. And it's this feast that ultimately solves our problem of not being and not feeling loved. Even before the social distancing requirements were put in place, one of the major problems of our society was disconnectedness. People were disconnected to each other already. And you can see it in how we build our homes. You can drive straight into your garage, shut the door, without talking to a single other person all day. Even before COVID, our generation today was the most lonely generation in the history of the world. And as a result, we can fear, feel far from God too. But this is why our Father prepares a banquet. The banquet is at the same time heaven, but also on this side of heaven, in the Lord's Supper. God's solution to our problem, our problem of feeling unloved, is this. You can be no closer to God on earth than when he communes with you in his true body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Jesus is really here. It's why his feast is so important. The Lord's Supper actually unites us with Jesus. He gives us his same blood that he poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus pours his love into us. He becomes one with us in his risen body and blood. And I don't think today, in our day, that I can overstress why the Lord's Supper is important. Because we have a tendency in our day to diminish it. And we, have, we think we have other more important things to worry about. But notice that the invitation that God gives to come to his banquet is not an invitation to simply hear the word of God. The invitation is the word of God. The people who are hearing what the messengers tell them are hearing God's word. They're hearing the gospel, that God loves them, that he wants them there, that he's paid for their entrance by the pouring out of his blood, and that he's already prepared the feast. God desires to have people to be in fellowship with him. That's the gospel. That God is not angry with us, but that he loves us. And that he welcomes everyone to his table. The Lord's Supper is the culmination of the gospel. The preaching of the word and the hearing of God's word always leads to a faithful reception of the Lord's Supper. And I know this summer is unique. 
in that we have a pandemic that has kind of by its nature uh, and out of necessity kept people away from the Lord's Supper. But my prayer is that this, this whole situation that we're in leads us to a greater appreciation of this wonderful gift from our Father. And to not like the prodigal son or those who make excuses in our gospel lesson, to, to take it for granted, to take our Heavenly Father's love and gifts for granted. And when things eventually return back to normal, to make excuses for why we can't come to the Lord's banquet. Our Father never closes his heart to us. He is always there. He is always loving us. He is always waiting to hear us uh, and to have us repent of our sins. And even before we do, he is there with his forgiveness. That's what God provides you in his holy supper. For us who are weary, burdened, who feel unloved, who feel the effects of murder in our world, God refreshes us with his salutary gifts. And he provides for us, as we pray every week, strength for our faith toward God and more fervent love toward one another. That's how we know how God loves us. He has poured out his blood for us. And this is how we can also love one another. So maybe John was onto something. Little children, let us love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now never shall be forevermore. Amen.